0: to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. We
1: apologize about the technical problems that we're having here. Uh, Technology is a great way. But uh, it is a challenging situation today. I hope you're having a great July 4th weekend and celebrating. We celebrated with Miriam and Josiah as they got married yesterday. And today we celebrate as uh, Tim and Angel Cleveland are celebrating a wedding anniversary today. So whatever you are celebrating this weekend, I hope you're having a blessed time. Would you take your Bible with me and turn to Exodus chapter 18, and if you would, would you stand with me as we honor the Word of God, Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jethro the priest of Midian, Moses' father law heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel's people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, and Jethro Moses' father-in-law took Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he had sent her away, and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershon, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the other whose name was Eleazar. For he said, The covenant of my father's was my and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then Judal, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife, to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the mouth of God. And he said to Moses, I, your father-in-law general, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her." Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down and he kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law well, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that they had befallen them on the journey, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done for Israel in delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, he delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh. Who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians? Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods in me, and it is proven when they dealt honorably against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father in law, took a burnt offering and sacrificed to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat under is the meat of with the Lord. Now I thank you for your word. Would you just open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you have for us. Would you bless the word of my mouth and the meditations of my heart? Let them be acceptable in your sight of Lord. you are the strength, my rock, and my beauty. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm amazed at how quickly word spreads through the ancient world and how accurate that word was because here we see this chapter opening and Jethro, Moses' monologue, hears about all that God has done. Now, we'll talk a little bit in a moment about the words that are he used here for God. But in this case, he hears about what Elohim had done in Egypt. And how Jehovah had delivered Moses and the children of Israel. How did he get all this information? Well, in part, it had to come to his daughter, Zipporah. I'm sure she would have told him something. And we also know that merchant caravans, they were a prime source of information in those times. Well, for our time together this morning, I want us to really focus on three periods. Number one, we want to talk about the return of Zipporah and the restoration of the family of Moses. We want to talk about Jethro. He is a Gentile that has a foundational, least a fundamental belief in God. And finally, we're going to look at the counsel that Jethro gives to his son-in-law. Now, look at verses one through six. Fascinating in the passage of scripture. Note where this is all taking place. Jethro counsel where Moses is. Verse five says that he was at the mountain of God. Now, we know that's Mount Korah, also referred to as Mount Sinai in various passages. But the point I want to see is that real restoration comes in where the presence of the Lord is and where the word of the Lord is. Without those two things, without His word and without His presence, there's no real restoration that takes place in our life. I think it's significant as well that both of these children are named. I don't want to miss that. Not only have they named, but we are told the needs behind them. Kids, don't miss this. This is really important because you are important to God. And God knows your name. Later today um, in our family club, I, I want you as to, to talk about the names that you have. Kids, there's no doubt in my mind that your parents fall alive. And, they, and I'm sure they've explained a lot about what name to give you. Your name has meaning. And so do you. And God has an eternal purpose for your life. The first son, look at verse 3. His name is Gershon. Moses says, I was a sojourner in a foreign land. His name means foreigner. This land is not my home. Christians, what a reminder that this is for us. That this world is not our home. I love that home that in the church it says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing believer. And it's important for us as Christians to understand that we have an eternal hope. And this life on this earth is only temporary. It's not like we're going to be here forever. The second son, you see his name in verse 4. And I use it. The God of my fathers was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh a well, powerful name. God is my help. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly when these boys were born. No doubt that Eleazar I mean, the ghost, was either born just before Moses returned to Egypt, or maybe even on the journey. We don't know. And he is most likely the child that Zipporah circumcised. Remember, in Exodus chapter 4, when God comes and, and Moses is going to die, thanks to the quick action of Zipporah, the wife of Moses he is spared and she circumcises the child and throws things at Moses feet and says, you're a bloody husband to me. You see, it was the shedding of blood that became a stumbling block to Zipporah. And I thought, what a... What an amazing thing. And there is a New Testament parallel. Let me just read to you what Paul writes to the Corinthians. This is chapter one, beginning in verse 22. For indeed, Jews asked for a sign in great search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, but to those who are the call, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And through this whole thing of the strength of blood, coming into covenant relationships, Christ's crucifixion brought us back into covenant relationship with God. So far, didn't understand the significance of circumcision, this sign of covenant relationship. Well, following the events in chapter four, Zipporah goes back to her father, and we see here in chapter eighteen that Moses actually sent her home. She does not leave the home of Moses under the best of terms. And as a reminder, as I look through this, you know, those of us who are in leadership, we cannot take our marriages, we cannot take our families with minds. Here's Moses, the great deliverer, the great lawgiver, and yet there are problems within his home and within his marriage. We don't have the time this morning to really delve into that. But it's significant that he is in crisis in his own marriage and his own family. But what a beautiful thing here in chapter 18, God brings about restoration. Now, for those of us today, especially the romantic uh, within us, wants to know
0: details. We'd like like to know, what was it like when Moses first laid eyes on Zipporah? Did Zipporah come running and throw her arms around Moses and hug him and kiss him? What about the boys? And how old were they? We don't know. We want details. The Bible doesn't give us those details. The only thing we know is that Jethro brings him back. I thought it was interesting what Arthur W. Pink says about this reunion and this restoration. Let me just read to you what I found that he said. Zipporah, restored to Moses, is a perfect type of Israel, or the Jews, being brought back to the Lord Israel, then he goes on to say, will not be restored to God until the rejected Messiah is manifested on the earth as the King and Lord. Now we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We're praying that the Jewish people, not only in Israel, but around the world, will come to embrace Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And I I think... Arthur W. Pink is correct in what he says, that Zipporah represents a type of Israel, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, whom he is going to draw back to himself. And we pray that that comes quickly. Notice what happens in verse 6. No doubt there had to be some strain going on, some fear, some apprehension on Jethro's part Because in verse 6, he sends specific word to Moses and say, hey, I'm your father-in-law, I'm coming. Now, I know there are a lot of of jokes, if you please, things that are being said about in-laws and outlaws and when the relatives come to visit. And I understand that in some families, that creates a whole lot of tension. I think it's interesting that Jethro wants Moses to know he's coming in peace. He's got his daughter. He's got his two grandsons. And he's coming to see his son-in-law with them and to bring them back. It could have been a very tense situation. I think it says something very positive about Jethro that he would communicate in advance. I'm coming and here's the reason I'm coming and I'm coming in peace. Now, I have to tell you that what happens here with Jethro and the council of Jethro, Arthur W. Pink doesn't look at very favorably. Uh, He he speaks rather negatively, in fact, about some of these things and the council that goes on here. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about Jethro. What does the Bible tell us? It says in verse 1 that he was a priest of Midian. Now we know that the Midianites worshiped many different gods, and while Jethro is a descendant of Abraham, he is clearly a Gentile, but he does acknowledge God. And again, that would not be unexpected because the Midianites acknowledged many gods. But we're going to see in these verses that he says, I know that Jehovah is the God of gods. He is the only living and true God. So we know that. Look at what he says in verse 1, and I pointed this out earlier, but let me come back to this. And let me just insert the Hebrew names for God that are used here. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that Elohim that is the name of the creator God of the universe, had done for Moses, for Israel, his people, and how Jehovah, that's the covenant name of God, who redeems his people, had brought them out of Egypt. Awesome things that are being said here. Look at verse 9. Jethro rejoices in the goodness of Jehovah. Now, how did he come to know these Hebrew names? The Bible doesn't tell us. Verse 10 and 11, so Jethro blessed Jehovah who delivered you. And now, and he says, and now I know that Jehovah is the God of gods. Powerful things that he's saying. Verse 12, here again, he offers a sacrifice to Elohim. Now, don't get bogged down, don't get really sidetracked Uh, in these various Hebrew names for God. There's a time and a place to study those, and it's profoundly important because these names are significant. But I share this to demonstrate that clearly Jethro is different from others in Midian. He understands things. And in this difference, I believe also that's part of the reason why Aaron and the elders would come not only worship with him, but they would eat together. And eating together in biblical times and in times today is extremely important because there is a principle here that when you eat with someone, you become one with them. And that's why, even in the community in which we live, there are groups where if someone is under church discipline, they will not eat with them. And that's the reasoning behind it. When we eat together, we become one with each other. That's why church dinners, carrying meals, getting together in homes and eating together and sharing together, that is so important. It's not just socialization, but it's coming together in a unity that binds us together. Now, let's look at this Council of Jethro. If you have your Bible, turn with me to verse 13, and again, we're going to read a number of verses, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 18. And it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses before Moses from morning until evening. Now, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Verse 17. And Moses father-in-law said to him the thing that you're doing is not good you will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you for the task is too heavy for you you cannot do it alone now listen to me and I shall give you counsel and God be with you you be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God then teach them the statutes and the laws, make known to them the way in which they should walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place them these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people At all times. And let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do these things, and God so commands you, then you shall be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did what he said. Now, what's interesting to me, think about this. Moses is born in Egypt. Miraculously, he ends up in the household of Pharaoh where he is trained, trained to lead a nation. And it's an amazing thing to me. And it's an encouraging thing to me You know, the things that go on in our life are not by accident. God has a purpose and a plan. And everything, I believe, that goes on in our lives, God is ultimately going to use for his eternal purposes and his glory. There's nothing in our life that's wasted. Whether we view it as a good situation or a bad situation, God is at work. And isn't it amazing? Isn't it glorious? That God not only protected the life of Moses and preserved it, but puts him into the household of Pharaoh where he becomes a part of that household. He becomes the prince of Egypt. He is being trained and he is in line to lead a nation. And God is using this training in Egypt to prepare him to lead a nation. But it's not the nation of the Egyptians but it's the children of Israel, it's God's people. So there's an interesting thing, and I don't have an answer for this, but I want you to think about this. If Moses had all of this training, why didn't he use that in setting up that kind of a national organization within the children of Israel? Now, I have to tell you that Arthur W. Pink, and I mentioned this earlier, does not see the Council of Jethro in a very good light. In fact he said the verses record the failure of Moses and are written for our admonition. He went on to say, in listening to Jethro, Moses did wrong. Jethro's eye was not upon God but on Moses. It was not on the eternal glory of Jehovah which was before him but on the temporal welfare of his son-in-law. Now. In a defense of Moses, we have to say that woven into Jethro's advice, we find some statements about God and the value or the virtue in delegating authority. Look at verse 23 again. Jethro says, if you do these things, and there is the caveat, and if God so commands you, then things are going to work out. And let's be honest, Jethro's wisdom was a tremendous blessing to Moses and to the children of Israel. And we have to say that for centuries, experts have held up this council of Jethro as an example, a classic example of how we delegate authority and a model of organizational management. And that's still happening today. Here's the key. Everything we do in leadership as spiritual leaders must be taken before the Lord regardless of how good or how much sense that counsel makes to our natural mind. Because the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. But if God breathes life into it and God says, yes, do it, and and that's the caveat here. And, and I believe Jethro understood this. I'm going to give you some advice, but you've got to go before your God, Jehovah, and you've got to make sure that that's what he's telling you to do as well. Don't just go on what I'm saying. The point, again, that I want to make is that in everything we do, we can't just look at the world or listen to the world and pick out a good idea or if somebody says something to us and say, oh, yeah, let's run with it. We need to take it before God and say, God, is this your wisdom? Is this your counsel? Jethro was right in what he saw in verse 18. He said, what you're doing is not good. You're going to wear yourself out and the people. Because you cannot do it alone. Now, let me be the first to say here, in leadership, we are never alone. I know from personal experience that there's many times that you feel alone. I know from working with pastors literally around the world over the last 40, 50 years, there are many who are feeling incredibly alone and many who are leaving the ministry because the burden is too great. But I want to say again, we are never alone because God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Now, that being said, the burden... The responsibility, the weight of the ministry is far greater than one man or one man's family can carry. Because when you think about your pastor, the burden of responsibility is not only on him, but it's carried over to his family as well. And there's no man can bear under that weight alone. First of all, we need to be drawing on God. And I will tell you, the biggest challenge for us in ministry is we spend so much time in God's Word getting things for you, but we don't spend enough time in God's Word for ourselves. And everything we do in ministry focuses around you focuses around reaching out and being a blessing and ministering to people in the community. And you get so busy doing that that you don't take time for yourself. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Maybe it's a uh, psychological crutch. I don't know. If it is, it's what I need and it's what I do. I have learned that when it comes to personal time in the Word of God, I've got to use a different translation. Because if I use the translation that I preach out of, something inside of me is, oh, I'm reading this, and say, oh, yeah, people connect with that. That's going to be good for them. That's going to help them. But when I spend time in God's Word with a different translation, then it's for Harold. Because I need to be built up. I need to be strengthened in the inner man. And if I become weary in well doing, it's bad for me, it's bad for my wife, it's bad for you as a church because I am so physically, spiritually, emotionally spent that I cannot lead well. And so we come to the Council of Jethro. And basically, when you look at verses 19 through 26, if I can just paraphrase this for you, Jethro says, you continue to be God's representative to the people, and theirs to God. You represent God to the people, and you take on behalf of the people and represent to God. You teach them the statutes, you teach the laws of God. You give them general leadership, and you give them direction but you also need to delegate you need to raise up new leaders I'm getting ready to celebrate another birthday another year of life and I remember so clearly my 50th birthday God just began to stir in my heart and say you must raise up the next generation of leadership we need to train leaders that's what Moses is saying train them Teach them. Have them begin to judge. Choose men. Verse 21. These are powerful things. Men who fear God. And that word fear there doesn't mean that that they're afraid of God. Now, there is a healthy fear of God where we are afraid of him, But it is a fear that is born out of a holy reverence. And it's out of this holy reverence that we serve faithfully. Not that God's walking around, I'm afraid of him, he walks around with a big stick and he's going to beat me the first time I step out of line. No, that's not God. The fear we're talking about is a holy reverence because he is a righteous, holy God. He's shown mercy and grace to me. And because of that reverend fear, I want to serve as faithfully as I can. Second, men who love truth. Boy, what a word for our society today, for our world today, that we would be known as men who love truth. And third, men who hate dishonest gain. They are not men who are going to take a bribe. They are not going to be men who are blown back and forth with whatever is politically correct. Now I will be the first to admit that uh, one of the things that I've used in, in a humorous way is in the political world that I have operated in in the last 25 years I've made a joke and and I said well some of my friends are for and some of my friends are against this issue and I'm for my friends. No, these are men who stand on the Word of God because they love truth. And they're not concerned about being on the right side of history. We hear a lot about that in our culture today, that with various things that are going on, we want to be on the right side of history. We're not worried about being politically correct. We're concerned because we are lovers of truth, God's truth, that we are going to stand for the truth of the word of God, even if we are criticized and misjudged. And what I'm saying to us, if you haven't figured it out already, is that these same characteristics of of holy reverence and fear of God, lovers of truth, those who hate dishonest gain and aren't going to take a bribe, these are the same character qualities that we need in leadership today. God's people desperately need these kinds of leaders. And I hope for those of you who are a part of the EWC family, you know that that's our heart here, that we want to be people who love God, who wholly reverence him, who love his word, who love truth, who are going to stand for what's right, and we're not going to uh, bend with the winds of political correctness, but we're going to stand for truth. I think it's interesting. Verse 24 tells us that Moses listened to the counsel of his father-in-law Jethro. However, what's interesting to me is that he doesn't implement this right away. We know from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 9 through 15, that Moses only implements this after the law, the Ten Commandments, after the law is given. And we're going to be looking at that uh, in another week as God gives the law. So in leadership, everything focuses around the living word of truth. So Moses heeds the counsel of of Jethro, but he only does so when the law is given, because it is the law, the word of God. I'm not talking about the do's and don'ts of religion. That's legalism. But God's living word, this living manna that we talked about last week, that is the thing that really gives continuity gives clarity, and gives life to leadership and the delegation of leadership. Now, let's bring all of this together. How do we apply this? One of the things that I remember as a teenager growing up in church is they'd always tell me, live for God, live for God, but they never told me how. And it frustrated me to no end. How do we apply this? I think, first of all, whether we are in spiritual leadership, and if you're a husband, you're in spiritual leadership of your home. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be up here behind a pulpit and preaching. doesn't mean you're, not going, you're going to be involved in eldership. However, God may choose, and he may call you, and he may put you in that position. But if you're a husband, if you're a father, you are a spiritual leader. And what we need is to make sure that in our homes, in our marriages, Jesus Christ is at the very center of that. And we need to work hard at having a strong marriage, having strong families. That is my first responsibility. Janice and I may have been led by God to start this church, but I'll tell you what my first and primary ministry is to her not you. It's to my sons, to my grandchildren, and what we're anticipating in another week or so, maybe tomorrow on my birthday, is our first great-grandchild. That's the first and foremost responsibility of ministry. Second thing, I am so impressed with what Moses does with his father-in-law. Like Moses, we need to show honor and respect to our in-laws, even if they have a different world view. There are so many jokes that go on in society about mothers-in-law or fathers-in-law. May I plead with us not to be party of that. And it's important for us as dads to communicate respect to our children that they need to respect and honor their grandparents. I'm amazed at what Moses does. If you go back and you think about what he did, when Jethro comes, what does he do? He bows before him. That's a sign of humility. It's a sign of honor and respect and submission. He hugs him. He kisses him. And I'm not telling you have to kiss your mother-in-law or kiss your father-in-law. But do you get the point here? And we need to be communicating that to our children, that this is how we treat family. Last but not least, we need God's divine guidance. We need God's wisdom. We need that discernment when it comes to knowing the difference between the well-intended advice And what is the wisdom of God? Arthur W. Pink may have been right that Moses made a mistake and that that Jethro's advice was only well-intended from a human standpoint. That could be true. So what's the difference? How do we know the difference between well-intended advice and the wisdom of God? And we learn that through prayer and waiting on God. And I want to encourage us that as we see things, as we hear things, as things are said to us, that we say, "Oh, Holy Spirit, give us wisdom and give us discernment. That we may be people who walk in the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father, would you take your word Cause it to be planted with deep within our hearts. Let your word become flesh in us so that we are changed, so that we will rightly represent you, that you will be glorified in us and through us as individuals, as families, and as a church. For it's in your name we pray with much thanksgiving amen. Worship team, come and lead us. Thank you, worship team, Um, and thank you for your understanding this morning as you're watching the live stream as we've had some technical challenges and a big thank you, Lord Jesus, for people like Justin Geigley who figures things like this out. And It's just a reminder that It's not about us, it's not about a production, it's about God's word just finding a fertile place in our hearts and lives. And that's why family talk is really important. I would just say to you that if you go out on the church's Facebook page, you're gonna find this listed out here. And dads, please don't miss this opportunity to impart spiritual truth, a Christian worldview, to your kids, and to your family. And there are several things that I want you to talk about. Uh, Parents, talk with your children, first of all, about how and why you gave them the name that you gave them. where they come from? Talk about how you prayed. Talk about how you talked and decided between yourselves about the name. What their name means. And talk about how... God has an eternal purpose, and eternal destiny. Number two, talk about uh, how you react when someone sees you doing something and then offers you advice. How do you handle when someone offers you advice, especially if it is unsolicited? And then number three, talk about your reactions. And what does that reaction that you're having tell you about yourself? Finally, talk about this as families. How do we know the difference between godly advice and the wisdom that is of this world? There is a wisdom of the world, and it has value, but then there's godly counsel. How do we know the difference How can those two be integrated together? It's going to make for a great family talk. Let me just pray for you. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for families who gather together to worship, whether it's in one building or whether it's around the world. And I thank you for those around the world that are joining us via the Internet. Lord, I pray for families as they are together together as we talk about your goodness and your grace. Lord, on this July 4th weekend, we also thank you for the nation that we call home. Lord, I think of that uh, tremendous song that says, God bless America, stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. Oh, in our cultural times, there is darkness all around us and we need divine guidance as a nation more than we have ever needed it before. God, forgive us our sins as a nation. Be merciful to us and guide us into your divine purposes. Lord, as we go about life now, I pray that you will bless us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May he be gracious unto you and give you peace. May the Lord bless you and make you a blessing for Jesus' sake, for his honor and his glory. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. The peace of the Lord be with you. Bye-bye.